everyone, and welcome to Geekdom is back, as is Marjani Rawls. Before we get started, though, I want to let you all know that today's show is brought to you by Gamefly.com. You can sign up for a premium free 30-day trial, which will allow you to take out one game, and you can do that at GameflyOffer.com forward slash GeekdomPod. I'll have the link in the show notes, so don't worry about memorizing that or anything. But MJ, we are here to talk about Star Wars The Last Jedi today. Are you excited? Yeah. Based on a, a lot of people's opinions, uh, a lot of people are divided on it. So uh, I'm happy to be here, happy to uh, dive into it. Yeah, so I was lucky enough to actually find a lone seat in like a 10 a.m. showing of it on opening day, or I should say on the Friday since it technically airs or technically shows on Thursdays as well. But I don't know how that happened. So I just, you know, took my movie pass card, went on over and was like, okay, good. There's still at least a couple seats left here. So it was really a great experience getting to go see it on opening day. When did you watch it? Uh, Me and my friend went that Thursday at around like 7, yeah, like 7 p.m. It was pretty, it was pretty packed. It was like IMAX, IMAX 3D. It was, I mean, we had got there like an hour before, um, but there wasn't a big line or anything. Everybody was kind of already in the theater already. But uh, yeah, it was it was packed. Basically, every seat, maybe like the front row seats weren't packed, but like, it, yeah, it was pretty packed in there. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the same for mine. It, like there were some coupled front row seats but i was like no i am not going to sit in the front row for this yeah i think when we went to go see force awakens at that point there were actual lines where people were like waiting and they were like wrapped around the theater and whatnot this one i mean it it seemed like everybody just kind of showed up you know maybe like 15 minutes before and whatnot but yeah every uh, pretty much every seat and it, it was like the hardcore Star Wars fans, which is always fun, I guess, you know, going to see a Star Wars movie with that. Yeah, I would say in my theater, there weren't too many people, you know, like cheering and clapping. People did clap at the end the most, but it was a pretty laid back experience because I remember when The Force Awakens came out and I saw that at like 8 a.m. opening weekend or something it was packed in there and people were just so excited but I think that's because you know that was the first movie that started you know the Star Wars comeback and now that this is the third movie I feel like people are still really excited but it's not going to always be the same feeling that a lot of us had when The Force Awakens came out. In our theater uh, when we sat there uh, we sat in the back of us, there was, like, real fanboys. And when, spoiler alert, uh, Yoda shows up on screen, we could have swore that one of the guys had, like, an asthma attack. He was like, <gasps> like, oh, my God, like, Yoda's here. I mean, nobody kind of expected that. But, like, yeah, there were some instances where people were like, <gasps> oh, my God. But pretty much everybody stayed quiet until the end, and then everybody, you know, clapped and whatnot and then just left out but it wasn't as it wasn't as rambunctious as the force awakens was the force awakens felt like when we watched it it felt like we were in a roller coaster with like all the fan interaction everybody was just kind of sitting and attentive and whatnot 
Yeah, and like you just said, spoilers, obviously. So do not listen to this if you have not watched the movie yet. So I will obviously make note of that in the notes and everything. But just in case, again, we're definitely going to get into a lot more spoilers after MJ's little spoiler there. Well, not really little. I'd say it's a pretty big one, but you you didn't give away why he was there yet. So yeah, yeah, no. why don't we go ahead and sort of just take this from the top and work our way through all of the things that happened. And, you know, we don't have to go in exact order because I feel like some moments are bigger than others that everything sort of gets jumbled because so much stuff happened in this movie to keep it all straight after one viewing for me, at least I feel like that's a little difficult. And I know some people have seen it multiple times already, but I've never really been someone to see a movie multiple times in theater, but you know, maybe with movie pass, if I get bored again, one day, I'll just go back and see star Wars again. Who knows? But to start the movie, you have, this sort of idea that things aren't going so well for the rebellion, which is sort of a theme with them. You know, the rebellion is always fighting back. First, it was against the Empire. Now it's the First Order. And what do you think of how they started off the film, too? Because we, when The Force Awakens left off, you have Rey going to hand Luke the lightsaber. And then, obviously, that picks up in this movie. I think when, I think when we all initially thought and watched the the teaser trailers and and the and the only trailer, some of the TV spots, I think that we were going to like we thought that this movie was gonna the last Jedi was gonna pick up right where it left off and it was gonna go right to the island with Ray and Luke. I kind of like that it went. To the dogfight with uh, with Leia and Poe and the First Order. Yeah. Because what happens in that scene is a huge motif uh, that is apparent in the whole film. You have Leia, who is more nuanced, who's more about, you know, not take like not really t- well taking the safe option, and then you have Poe Dameron, who is all about gunning it all right, like, this is our chance to take out the ship. We got to do it now. But the problem is, is that they lost so much. Right. I think, yeah, they, they lost all their bombers. By the way, that bomber scene with uh, with Rose's, like, sister was amazing. Yeah. Like, how that was shot was awesome. Um, so, immediately, you have this uh, clash between... Uh, the way that the older characters thought versus our new characters. Like, uh, the older characters are more cautious. Uh, the new characters are ready just to kind of go at it and whatnot. And this is going to clash throughout the movie. Absolutely. I think that difference comes because of the fact that Leia has already lost so much. You know, she's been around for a while, so she's seen plenty of people come and go with the rebellion and i would say probably seen more go than how than they've had arrive because you have you know this instinct in poe to just destroy the first order any way he can but what doesn't dawn on him is the fact that not everyone is going to be nearly as 
great of a pilot as he is. So even though he's able to get out of a lot of these sticky situations, the rest of the pilots don't have that skill set at the level that he has it. So, you know, and plus the bombers weren't ships that were meant to be maneuvered like an X-wing by any means. So they were sort of just sitting ducks, basically. And it was very obvious in that moment that Poe thought he knew what was best when in reality he didn't. And I think that scene to start the movie really sets up his character arc throughout the film, which for me, it felt like a very positive development for him and the relationship that he had with Leia along the way. Yeah, I think that, I mean, Poe, what Leia does is kind of fortify him to be a leader, but she teaches him that being a leader sometimes... I mean, sometimes it's about doing the best thing, not, you know, the most reckless thing. Right. Like what you think, what, you know, what you think is, you know, the best way it might actually not be. I mean, Leia has been, she's been, she's been up Princess Leia. She's seen the whole trilogy, the original trilogy of them, of the resistance just losing everybody. And then, you know, and the cost of that. And what her job is, especially because they're outnumbered, because, you know, uh, the First Order just pretty much stalks them throughout most of the movie until their ship runs out of gas or whatnot. But, like, um, it shows them that there's much more to being a leader than just being kind of a hothead. And Poe definitely has some Han Solo-type... charismatic resilience in him but I feel like you know because a lot of uh, you have an old character new old character new character like pairing in this movie and I feel like uh, these pairings are kind of pushing these new characters to the forefront like it's it's they're infusing the lessons that they had from the older movies into the newer characters Yeah, plus this movie definitely takes what I feel like were a lot more risks than some of the previous movies. And, you know, every movie that someone makes obviously has some sort of risk involved. And with Star Wars being as beloved as it is and as and has been going on as long as it has, there are going to be a lot of people who you know, might not be too fond of the new characters because they grew up with Leia and Luke and Han and all of these characters that you can't really justify keeping because, you know, Carrie Fisher is pretty much the only person a lot of us could ever see as playing that character. So to just recast and have other people play these characters, I feel like it wouldn't have the same effect as just bringing in new characters to carry on the legacy. I feel that, well, a lot of people, in, in talking with a lot of people, a lot of people were jarred of, of the changes in The Last Jedi. Because I feel that, like, with all the theories that we did, and Disney did a very good job in not showing their hand of what the movie was going to be. Yeah. I think they gave us one teaser, one full trailer... And then these TV spots that would kind of give you small morsels of what it was going to be about. And then you just kind of let, um, left it up to yourself. And there were all these theories. And and I think that's kind of a fun 
that's a, a fun way to be a Star Wars fan is that there are so many ways to go. And I think one of the main criticisms about The Force Awakens, at least from what I've heard, is that it played it too safe. It reminded people too much of A New Hope. You know what I mean? And then when J.J. got uh, cast to do Episode Nine, there was grumblings about that too. It was like, oh, well, you know, is it just going to be like another Return of the Jedi? Ryan Johnson, I mean, for better or worse took things in The Last Jedi, especially with the older characters, in a way that I don't think any of us saw it was going. It answered questions that, you know, it may have not been the way that you think, but it answered some, and it made new made new questions. Because now, I don't know where we're going to go in Episode 9. Like, um, kind of the legends that were made within the original trilogy and then the prequels and stuff like that. Now, like, it seems like we've veered off to the left in a lot of those. So the speculation going into the final movie in the trilogy is just going to be huge. So I, I, I mean, for better or worse, I'm glad that Disney uh, allowed a director to take it that way. Because, like I said, you've heard the horror stories of Lord Miller and even uh, Gareth Edwards with Rogue One where it's supposed to be darker and it wasn't. And it was kind of more like Star Wars-fied. Right. Um, right. But I could also see the beef of the hardcore Star Wars fans like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, this is like way too left or like this kind of doesn't make sense. So The thing is, though, you know, Lucasfilm has this entire story group that basically is determining what's canon and what's not these days. So, you know, Ryan Johnson also didn't just get to do whatever he wanted with the series. You know, there is some vision that Lucasfilm has and whether or not it fit perfectly into what Ryan Johnson wanted to do, I think his vision for this movie and what Lucasfilm wanted by taking these certain risks, to me at least, I think it paid off because like you've said, now you don't know where they're going to go, which pretty much means they can take it anywhere they want to at this point. It's not quite a clean slate to start with, but it's probably pretty darn close. Oh, you better believe like Kathleen Kennedy had a heavy hand and, and kind of gearing or letting, like, Ryan Johnson kind of go where he wanted to go with it. Um, do I feel more satisfied that, like, this isn't a... This wasn't so much an Empire Strikes Back remake? Yeah, because that's where I thought it was initially going to go. I thought that it was going to... Um, we were going to... Everything was going to be bad and, like, you know the resistance would have to fight back and stuff like that and you know like it would be what it was and it isn't like now like there's so much added to the legend and whatnot that especially with like you know force ghost and 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 this and that like now you're gonna have to you know pick up the pieces and like all right where is this gonna go like now we can now we can literally go everywhere because you know, there's so much stuff that was undone that 
now the it's just kind of like a choose your own adventure book. I don't really know if conventional Star like conventional Star Wars fans really wanted to go that way. I I felt like they felt that it should have been more to the Star Wars lore. I feel like casual fans love it. Yeah. I feel like casual fans really took to this movie. And that's where the divide is. Yeah, personally, I never really got into too much of the expanded universe outside of the first and second trilogies like a lot of hardcore Star Wars fans did. It hasn't been until recently since they, you know, started over and had the new canon and everything that I really started diving in. So what I'm familiar with is pretty much everything Lucasfilm has started doing since Star Wars returned. So to me, you know, because I read the books and I check out the comics and I sort of take a look at everything Lucasfilm is doing, you definitely get a bigger picture that way of where they're going, but not everyone is going to be that sort of Star Wars fan. So for those who just watch the movies, maybe this was more disappointing for those fans as well, too, because they haven't really taken that deep dive into the new canon and everything. And it's one of those things where you're not going to please everyone no matter what you do with Star Wars. So I think just going out there and taking the risk, in my opinion anyway, was the right move. Yeah, and there's so much to the canon. There's comics, there's books, there's Rebels, Yeah. there's the video game, there's stuff in Star Wars Battlefront 2 that, that furthers the story. After The Force Awakens and going into uh, The Last Jedi, I actually started kind of going more into canon and actually getting into like some of the legends and stuff like that because I just kind of wanted to know more. I didn't know anything about Snoke. Um, I wanted to know more about you know Darth Vader, what he did after A New Hope and whatnot. I wanted to know more about Luke and his adventures after the return of the Jedi and you know, try to get every morsel I could so I could try to understand where everything is going and ev- all the Easter eggs and whatnot. If I'm a casual fan, I don't know if I really have time for all that. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, because it seems like there's a book released every month, almost. And these books are big. Like, they're, they're yeah. like 200 to 300 page books. So, if, if I'm a hard canon person, like I'm following everything and stuff like that, for the plot to take like a huge like U-turn, like, it would be jarring for me. If I'm just kind of like watching the movies and like I just got into The Force Awakens and then I have a friend telling me, oh, this happened too and whatnot, the twists and turns might actually be thrilling. And I can definitely see both sides and where the disconnect is, but also where people think that it's awesome. Yeah, to take it back to some specific scenes in the movie too, I mentioned earlier that we do eventually pick up where Ray and Luke left off and you get this whole scene where Ray is just not going to give up until Luke helps her and her determination and him seeing just how strong she is especially with the force it's sort of what puts him over the edge I think and he finally is 
willing. Well, I wouldn't really say he's super willing to help her, but he does end up helping her. I will say the first scene where she hands him the lightsaber and he just tosses the lightsaber over was kind of like, I'm like, ah. But then again, how do you direct that scene? I felt like that was like, to me at first, because I've seen it twice, that was kind of like jarring to me. It was like, oh, I was kind of waiting for this for two years. And all of a sudden he's just like, "Eh, see you. Yeah. Like, nah, no thanks. (laughs) Yeah. It was just kind of just like a funny moment. And there's some, uh, there's a couple scenes in the movie where like the jokes don't really work because the tone doesn't really fit for it. Um, but I feel that the relationship and basically what Luke stands for is one of the most interesting parts of the movie because it seems like he teaches Ray out of this whole like, well, you think you know what you. Uh, you think you know what you know about the Jedi Order, but I'm going to teach you this because it's not the way you think it is. Um, Luke himself is kind of an allegory for, and I wrote about this, kind of like a deconstruction of the legend. We, watching the movies, like, and, and kind of like knowing Luke and stuff like that, he's the hero, you know what I mean? Like, he brought down the evil like he helped bring down uh Sidious and in his final moments turned his you know father back to the light side um but even in the story between that he tells <clears throat> about Kylo and then Tyler tells the story there are two sides to every story and you can even argue that there with the Jedi they're so constrained and and you know you can't they're so tied to that order because of that that allowed uh palpatine sidious to take over and then the empire to to reign like the way they did uh so you know there there's more to meets the eye with luke and i know a lot of people had complaints about luke but i think that Especially him, uh, it was supposed it, he's kind of like the the pillar of the movie. Like he, to show us that okay, well, everything that we thought, maybe it isn't that way. Maybe you know it's more gray. And I kind of said that intentionally, but like it's more gray that than just light and dark. Maybe there's a middle. Maybe you can do both. Yeah, and you get that specific scene too where you see Ray looking at that big dark hole on the island. And when you first see it, at least for me, I was kind of like, okay, what's really going to be down there? Because it just seemed like such a weird place for Luke to end up on this island with this big hole of darkness, basically. I thought it was, I was like, is that, is that a monster? Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, I was like, oh, she's gonna, she's gonna end up fighting some, like, beast, and that's gonna personify the dark side. But no, it, you know, it kinda, like, shows that there is light and dark. Um, if you remember, like, uh, Snoke talks about Kylo, that, like, he's, like, 
it is better than like a sculptor can make. Uh, Kylo draws from the dark, but he also has this light to him, so he could use both. So like, that's also I feel like there there that tug is in Ray. I would have liked to kind of see that more in the movie, but I feel like that's going to be more so in nine. Yeah, what did you think about the fact that Snoke was behind the connection between Kylo Ren and Rey? Because you have these two new characters with this new trilogy, and you know we see glimpses of how powerful both of them are in The Force Awakens, but I feel like in The Last Jedi, Rey really comes out of her shell with the idea of the force and everything like that. And, you know, we see that they are pretty evenly matched. So what did you think of that little connection that Snoke put together for them and the conversations they kept having while not being in the same place? Well, first of all, I think that was great acting from Adam Driver and Daisy Ridley. Yeah. Because they're in two different, they're in two different uh, rooms or two different places. And, and the way that, you know, they talked to each other and the way that they acted, just it just felt natural and it felt great. Um, it showed, like, another side of the Force. Like, what do you mean, like, I can connect to you? And, like, and it also set some rules in place because Rey can see, saw, like, Kylo's surroundings, but Kylo couldn't see hers. Right. They don't, okay, so they don't say anything about it, but there's obviously a connection, there's more of a connection between Kylo and Rey that we don't know yet. And it showed me that Snoke is way more powerful than any of us can thought he'd be. I mean, he was, he was just a, a hologram, and he, like, uh, attacked Lux from the ship. Uh, he used Force Lightning. Uh, his understanding of the Force, even though he's not a Jedi or a Sith, is even more powerful. Uh, just, I mean, I don't know. Like, what I did, like, even in the movie, like, even after the movie, I tr- I've been trying to just track down everything I can about Snoke. Because, well, <laughs> you know, spoiler alert, but, like, he... Meets his untimely end, but in my theory, I don't think he's dead yet. Yeah, I don't think that he's dead at all, actually. But <laughs> go to you. Do you think that, given what happened, do you think that Snoke is dead? I think he is because I'm not sure if he were still alive, he would even let Kylo have any sort of inkling that he would be able to be a leader like he was. And Real quick, though, I do want to talk about the moment where you have this connection between Kylo and Rey and they end up in her little hut or whatever you want to call it there. And Luke just sort of, not sort of, he really freaks out and just goes crazy on the place because he saw Kylo in that same room, even though he wasn't actually there with her. Oh, uh, I felt like that was foreshadowing. Uh, that was an ability that I guess Kylo didn't have because, well, first of all, it showed that, one, Kylo and Rey obviously have a connection. And for Luke to see that, 
that scared him because if I'm training Ray, you know what I mean? Kylo's already turned against me. Right. I've, I've right. seen the same stuff in Kylo. So if I'm training Ray, she's seen that dark side. I've seen that raw strength before. I'm not having that again. So obviously you see like a reluctance to, for on Luke's part, like, whoa, 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 whoa. I've already been down this road. I almost died. And I've had my Jedi, I had the Jedi Order that I was doing killed. I'm not having this again. Yeah, so going back to Snoke, like I said, I do think he is dead because I don't really see how, you know, his body sort of just the top half falling off. <laughs> I don't know how he really comes back from something like that. But then again, this is Star Wars and you never really know. So what I saw a lot of people discussing with Snoke, though, was that they didn't get enough of his story. And like you and I were just discussing, there are a lot of different mediums for Star Wars right now. So there's no real idea of what we could potentially find out about Snoke still because when we saw Phasma in The Force Awakens, we later got a book about the character and we saw her again in this movie. So even though Snoke appears to have met his demise in this film, there's a chance that Lucasfilm could still release something that gives you more information on Snoke than just the movies did because I feel like if they were to try and put more of that in this movie specifically, it would have just been an information overload, basically, because you're still trying to figure out who Ray's parents are, what's going on with Luke, and then you have the whole situation with Leia and Poe trying to do what they can with what they have left of the Resistance. And that's not a whole lot that they have left, which we'll probably talk about a little more during a later scene in the movie. But I feel like it it just would have been overkill to also have sort of this backstory on Snoke as well. I mean, let me tell you, like, this Star Wars movie, it, it doesn't let up. Like, you go from point to point to point to point, and the end of the two hour and 30 minutes, you're like, whew. Like, it, it doesn't give you a chance to breathe. Like, it goes from plot point to plot point, person to person, and I feel like... You had your main things with, you know, Luke, Kylo, Ray, that it felt like there wasn't enough time to kind of get into the little idioms with Snoke or uh, Finn or, you know, Mass Kanata or, or whatever like that. So, I mean, like you said, you could always, like, Disney's doing a, they're going to do a new Star Wars trilogy. You could probably maybe have a Snoke movie about the Outer Rims or whatnot. Um, you know, maybe, you know, that was just the projection of Snoke then, and, you know, maybe he isn't dead. Maybe he comes back in episode nine, even though I kind of do agree with you. It is kind of, um, that's kind of far-fetched because, I mean, as you saw in the movie, like the close-up of Snoke, like what is like, what is tongue all out, like when, when he's dead and whatnot, that was kind of funny, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I in talking with some people, they f they really felt let down that Snoke was kind of killed that way, and it was specifically because they didn't know that much about him. Like, he dies this 
mysterious leader, and we don't know where he came from. We don't know how he got his powers. Uh, you know, we don't know he, who he's really affiliated with. How the Force of the First Order started. So, you know, you kind of just is kind of a letdown. But you never know. Like, you might learn more about him in Episode Nine or a book. So, there's always a chance of that. But I feel like um, he wasn't really. He was just kind of the placeholder because he wasn't really the evil bad. It was always meant to be Kylo. Yeah. It was always meant yeah. to be Kylo to be, you know, his destiny to kind of be, you know, the ultimate. Now he's supreme leader. You know what I mean? Like in the beginning, after getting chastised about Snoke, I like the mask. I don't know about you. I, I did like the mask, but it's all about smashing legends. He destroyed the mask and kind of let that aspiration to be another Darth Vader go. And now he's stepping into his destiny. The thing with Kylo getting rid of the mask, though, he's telling Rey to let the past die and sort of kill it if you have to. So it makes sense that he would also sort of let go of the idea of, you know, being just another Darth Vader and having this mask that he doesn't really need. You know, Vader really did need that more so than Kylo does. You know, he he's fine. He doesn't need to you know like go soak in a tank every day <laughs> or anything like that <laughs> to st- stay alive and everything but i want to backtrack a little bit before snoke's death because in the force awakens kylo kills han and then in this film he has a chance to kill leia too but he can't pull the trigger someone else has to do it and you know, they blow up the bridge of the ship, basically, that she's on, and she winds up out in space and then sort of has this force gravity, I don't even know what you would call it, but she gets pulled back into the ship and is able to recover, and then the The whole... Superman. the, (laughs) The whole reason he is even in Snoke's little lair on his ship is because, you know, that scene has already come and gone and then Ray winds up on the ship and he takes Ray to Snoke and she sort of gets through to him. She doesn't fully get through to him and they both want to help each other, but they both want to help each other in different ways. And that's ultimately what leads Kylo to killing Snoke because Snoke wants him to kill Ray, but he knows that this connection they have is too important and too interesting to him to want to kill her. Going back to that Leia scene, I think we all kind of wondered if uh, Leia was Force-sensitive. And boy, did we ever find out. They did give inklings of that in The Force Awakens, though, because like she knew when Han had died before anyone even told her. And then her connection with Luke, once Luke sort of lets the Force back in, you can see that connection getting stronger throughout this movie, too. Oh, yeah. I, I meant, like, the whole, like, you know, first of all, not dying in space. Right. That's an accomplishment. There's no gra- There's no oxygen out there. And then, um, like, I talked to my friend afterwards, and he, he's a Star Wars fan, and he felt like that scene was a little too much. Like, he's like, really? She's, like, gliding through space and whatnot? But I'm like, if she, I mean, she's Luke's sister, so obviously she would be very strong in the Force as well. 
And, I mean, like, it, it jarred me a little bit, but then, you know, when she, you know, touches the door or whatnot, I'm like, okay, you know, that that's that's not too bad. Um, going back to what you said about Kylo, in the quote, like, let the past die, kill her if you have to, I felt like that's that's pretty much how the movie goes. It's all about killing the past. Yeah. You know, there was this whole, like, rule of two. That's not really much... That's not really in The Last Jedi. There's really just Kylo and Rey. And who's going to pull what to where? Is Rey going to be able to pull Kylo back to the light? Or is Kylo going to pull Rey to the dark side? Uh, Kylo... Like you said, Kylo doesn't want to kill Rey. He wants you know, to rule with Rey. But, you know, like... Two of them have different opinions on how to do that. And I feel like that relationship feels where they're going to go here and where they're going to kind of go in episode nine. Like, well, we can't, we, we really have a difference of opinion, so we're going to have to fight each other. And then whoever survives, that, that's, that ideology is going to survive. Yeah, and I do want to talk about Finn and Rose's little side adventure, but first I want to let you all know a little bit more about Gamefly here. So for you, the listeners of Welcome to Geekdom, Gamefly is offering a premium free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service so you will be able to take one game out during that free trial and you can go to gameflyoffer.com forward slash geekdompod. Like I said at the top of the episode, that'll be in the show notes, so don't worry about memorizing it. But some of the popular Gamefly plans are the one disc plan and the two disc plan. The one disc is about 16 bucks a month and the two disc is 23 bucks a month. So you get to select from over 8,000 different games that Gamefly offers and those go all the way back to the PlayStation 2, GameCube, the Xbox. So you don't have to have the latest and greatest console to be able to put Gamefly to some good use and you know since we are talking about Star Wars today obviously if you were to check out the Star Wars Battlefront games you might get a little extra Star Wars information for canon these days and if you like the game that you rented you can actually keep the game at a heavily discounted rate and Gamefly will send over the original game case and the manual at no extra charge so it's also just a good way to end up with some discounts on games as well and be able to maybe rent more than what you would normally be able to afford to buy. So definitely check that out. Again, that link is gameflyoffer.com forward slash geekdompod and it's a 30-day free trial. And thank you so much to Gamefly for sponsoring this episode. But now back to The Last Jedi. MJ, for a lot of people, it seems like the Canto Bite scene, which is you know, this big casino town, basically, and they have, you know, these races with some of the creatures there, and it's just really a bunch of rich people spending their absurd amounts of money, and yeah. a lot of people weren't too fond of this scene because it felt so outside of what we're so used to seeing with Star Wars. What did you think of the scene, and how do you think it sort of impacted the flow of the film? It removed me from the main plot. That whole scene kind of reminded me of the prequel days. Okay. Kind of like when, uh, you know, uh, 
the pod racing and uh, the Phantom Menace and something like that. I was kind of disappointed in what they did with Finn in this film because he was such a big part in The Force Awakens. He was kind of like one of the big three. Poe, Finn, Rey, whatnot. They kind of sent him off with Rose on this side mission that didn't pan out anyway. Like, it was just kind of a wild goose chase in order for them to get double-crossed. And I felt like, all right, well, you could kind of use Finn in an even better way than you kind of than you did right there. I mean, what was intriguing about Rose is that, one, um, like kind of like the heartbreaking story about her sister earlier in the film. I, I, I like that tie-in. And then uh, going there, the Canto Bite, and then her having this story where, like, you know, where she used to live there, but, like, you know, the, the rich kind of, you know, enslaved the kids and, you know, built the backs of, on the backs of the townspeople there and, and whatnot. I felt that was kind of good, but, like, at the same time, the side quest kind of didn't do a lot for me plot-wise. It's just kind of like, all right, well, we got to find the code breaker because we got to get on Snoke's ship. Ah, uh, but it kind of didn't work anyway. You know what I mean? Like, so we just kind of sent these characters just to kind of do something, just to kind of have them involved in the plot, but not really. Yeah, they did have a purpose for going there, but they weren't even able to really accomplish that. Instead, they come back with someone else who is basically just going to cause a bunch of trouble for them and nearly get them killed. So, you know, what it does give us, though, is the Finn and Phasma showdown, which I think was bound to happen at some point. But, you know, for as great of a fighter as Phasma is made out to be, especially in the novel, that came out on her character. I don't know if Finn is that great of a fighter, but you know, you also can't really kill off one of your main three new characters. So I feel like they had to give him some sort of triumph in this movie and defeating Phasma in, I guess, not your typical way was his triumph. Well, I felt that it was kind of a cheat because like, you sent them off on this pointless side mission. Then you have Phasma, who, I mean, for what we heard was going to play a bigger role in this movie. But she's all, she's in what, like like 10 minutes of, of like The Last Jedi? Yeah, it was pretty much that scene. And, you know, they're walking around in First Order uniforms and right away... Phasma recognizes Finn as, you know, his little number from his First Order days. And yeah, it's one of those things where that moment did feel a bit shoehorned into the film because we all sort of knew we were going to see Phasma again. We just didn't really know how and under what circumstances. So to have it be on, you know this little side mission that Finn and Rose are on and their code breaker who probably really doesn't even know what he's doing. He sort of just gets around and does what's best for him, which, you know, that becomes obvious to them at the most improbable time or at the worst time possible for them. And it, it did feel like 
a disservice to Finn's character, but at the same time, it kind of also did for Phasma too, because, you know, she thinks Finn is gone and here he comes up on this thing and then just knocks her out and she falls, which who knows if Phasma is actually dead because didn't she go into the trash compactor before and made it out of there? So, you know, who knows? where that is going to go i think it's maybe more probable that she's alive than snoke (laughs) i think she's dead but if she is dead i think it's it's kind of it's a big letdown because like she's like this big uh, soldier within the first order and i mean i know finn kind of almost held his own in the force awakens with kylo for like two minutes with the lightsaber but um until kylo was like all right enough of this and just cut him in the back but like for him to just like oh well see and then just knock her down and her to just kind of just fall to her supposed death like i'm just like oh wow um well she's dead like that's it we're not gonna see any more of phasma so I don't know, and like you said, like with the book, like it showed her like being such a, like a, a like a skilled warrior or whatnot, yeah. and she's gone. Yeah. So like it, I, I could see where I mean I kind of was just like what, and and then I could see where people just kind of had a problem with that. You know? Yeah. Plus, you know, looking back on it now too, pretty much everyone on that ship probably has to be dead because then you have Vice Admiral. Holdo, or Haldo, however it was pronounced. I'm totally blanking right now. But she takes the transport and gets it into the hyperspeed mode, hyperspeed, hyperdrive. And she takes the ship right through Snoke's. So there's no way that that ship is going anywhere, pretty much. And we see Finn and Rose barely get out alive because they find you know, one of the little shuttles and they get out of there with BB-8 and it's pretty close for them in that moment. So thinking back on it now, yeah, Phasma probably is dead. And if Snoke's body was still there, you know, he likely is too. But we obviously know that Kylo and General Hux got out. And what did you think of Vice Admiral Holdo's character? Because she takes over when Leia is recovering from her little journey into space there. And, you know, Finn, or not Finn, Poe really clashes with her because she won't tell him anything. And then she makes this big sacrifice to save the rest of them. Well, apparently, you know, there's a a lot of backstory with Holdo and Leia. Like, you know, they, they kind of grew up together and, yeah. and whatnot. What I thought, I, okay, so... Going back to, like, uh, the the lessons and whatnot, Holdo's choice actually got a lot of them killed. Uh, Taking the escape pods uh, into, yeah, into crate, like, a lot of them got killed, shot down by the First Order. So, I mean, I felt Holdo was, you had Holdo, who was kind of personification of kind of, like, Again, like the old ways, I'm like, all right, well, we got to do what's best for everybody. We're going to stay the course, blah, blah, blah. And then you have Poe, who's trying to do something different. And unfortunately, it seemed like staying the course got a lot of the resistance killed. Um, In the short time that Holdo was there, 
I guess it was a good standalone for Leia being incapacitated. And of course, you know, like, Holdo makes the ultimate sacrifice and whatnot. But you don't, you don't really learn a lot about Holdo. You just kind of, like, know her as, like, this, like, you know, all right, this is how it's going to go. I don't have to explain to you anything. Right. You know what I mean? Like, she's like, weren't, didn't, she goes to Poe, like, weren't you demoted or, or whatnot? Like, I don't have to, we're going to do this and blah, blah, blah. You, you see her as, like, this hard ass and then all of a sudden as this hero. That's kind of, like, what you get to see. You, you don't really, like I said, you don't really have time. It's already a two-hour and 30-minute movie, so you don't really... Other than the conversation that she has with Leia, you don't really get to see, like, a little bit of the backstory. Yeah, and, you know, the Resistance, unfortunately, probably had to have those casualties in order for her moment to work when she takes the ship through Snoke's ship and sacrifices herself. Because, you know, at first, the First Order isn't even targeting... They're not even targeting any of the ships that have left the big transport vehicle because they were keeping it just out of range. And, you know, the transport vehicle was going to run out of fuel anyway. So it's the right move to get as many people off of that ship as possible because it's the biggest target. And, you know, while things don't always work out for the resistance, it seems like they always have people in these higher ranking positions who want to do what is best for the majority of them, unlike Poe, who is sort of trying to learn this along the way where you can't just sacrifice a bunch of people when you don't have a bunch of people like the First Order does. Oh, yeah. And you saw that like early in the film. He's like, all right, man, like this drag dragnaught. We got to take this out right now. Like, we're never going to have another chance. And they're like, well, you know what I mean? Like, we don't really have the much as much manpower as the First Order had. So we have to kind of, all right, we're going to do this. It doesn't look like it's really going to work out. So we're going to have to pull back in, in order to avoid casualties. Paul was very like, listen, like, whatever it takes. We can lose everybody, but as long as we get to the goal... Then it's a, it's a success. And being a leader, you kind of have to balance that. You know what I mean? Like, sometimes you can't go in as reckless. Like, you, you have to kind of go for the greater good. And I feel like he learned that from Leia in this movie. Like, Leia was, like, the lesson teacher. Like, listen, I've I've been through this before. Like, I've been through the first iteration of what the first order is with the empire and i know that we got to do this like you know what i mean like of course i want to win the battle but what's winning the battle when i could win we can win the war yeah so why don't we go ahead and move on to basically this final act where they are at this abandoned rebel base and you know you have a bit of humor when you have Finn and Rose coming in hot in one of the First Order shuttles, so they think, you know, it's the enemy, and then they have to sort of, like, stick their hands up and poke their heads up to make sure they aren't going to all shoot at them (laughs) while they're getting out after crash landing in the base. But then, from that moment, everything gets very serious, because you know the First Order is on the way, and they have this gigantic weapon that's going to be able to crack open 
the door that most people and things wouldn't be able to get through. So what were your thoughts on how they handled this final act in a more broad sense? I, at first, when I first watched it, I didn't like it because Finn was about to sacrifice himself and then Rose goes and then knocks his ship out of the way. And I'm like, okay, uh, <laughs> like, she didn't die? Like, all right, well, you know, you found a way to destroy the ship without killing the person, so success. But, like, I feel like it interrupted a powerful moment. Not that I wanted Finn to die, because I think there's uh, tons more that you could do with Finn. Right. Especially uh, episode 9. But that, I mean, it set a stage for, like, this, like, I guess we're heading down, like, this love triangle with Finn and Rose and Finn and, uh, and Ray. And I'm like, why don't you guys just pull the trigger on Finn and Ray already? You know what I mean? But um, that, I felt a little bit better seeing it the second time, but I still kind of had an issue with it. Uh, the final scene with Kylo and Luke. Um, wow. Uh, I'm still kind of like processing it because you want Luke to have this hero moment. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. want, and he does, and he and he and he kind of does in in a sense. Like you know what I mean? Like he he goes and confronts Kylo. Kylo's still this hothead. What? Okay, so when is Kylo gonna stop being emo? <laughs> like he's very Anakin Skywalkerish in like Episode Two. Um, I don't know. Like, and then for them to like to have this lightsaber thing. And, you know, Luke is like, see you around, kid. And then it goes back to Octu, And it's just the force projection. I'm like, oh, wow, okay. And then he just dies. I'm like, what? You're just kind of... It's a lot of scenes that happen that you're like, oh, wow. Like, the resistance is down to, like, let's say 15 people? Uh, (laughs) It's not a whole lot. And they just lost Luke. And, I mean, presumably we'll probably lose Leia because, unfortunately, Carrie Fisher passed. But you see Ray's strength in removing the rocks. I don't know. Like, it's a lot. It's just a lot to take in. Like, Like I said, it's one of those misdirect scenes where you're like, all right, well, you know, in his mind, Luke is noticeably uh, younger. You know, his projection is not haggard. Um, and it teaches you something about the Force. Because apparently now you can project your essence anywhere. <laughs> like, you can go anywhere. So it opens the door to that explored more in Episode Nine. But it was kind of like, it was, you were either going to love the way that, end, that ended... Or you hated it. And I could see why people hated it. But I can also see why people love it. Like, it was just kind of like a sad send-off. Yeah. Plus, you at least get to see Luke and Leia have this moment. Even though it's a Force Ghost version of him. And, you know, I didn't instantly get that feeling. I had this idea that he was actually there. And I think a lot of people felt that way. Until, you know, you see him 
go up against Kylo and Kylo just really loses his mind and you know Luke's still just standing there after firing all of these weapons on him and then even when you know Kylo goes to fight him one-on-one it's one of those moments where it's definitely one of the bigger risks they took with this movie and I think it works so well because of that relationship that Luke and Leia have and the fact that we get to see them in that moment. And it kind of feels like she knows, but maybe not everyone else does, that he's not actually there. And she sort of has this feeling of what's going to happen next. Yeah, you never know. Like, maybe she learned, maybe she learns this ability and uses it in episode nine. There is a lot of stuff about the Force that we learn in this movie. Uh, in particular, Yoda showing up to Luke in the middle of the movie and able he's able to, you know, use lightning and then, like, fire and stuff like that. So now we know that Force Ghost can manipulate the physical world. Right. So I don't think that Luke is gone at all. I think that he, especially with Leia, I think that he's going to be a big part of episode nine and further training, right? The app. Okay, so there was a scene after that which I actually thought that was the scene after that with the kids was actually my favorite scene in the movie because there's a lot of debate about this movie on you know it wasn't what we expected, it wasn't what we really wanted, but with the kid. Um, he, he's grabbing the broom and it, he obviously has some force ability and then he kind of looks up and he sees the stars and whatnot, and then he has the resistance band it's kind of like like a metaphor for kind of the entire movie like I feel like alright you know they're telling the legend the kids are telling the legend of Luke Skywalker and of course we know throughout the whole movie that, you know, he's like, all right, well, you know, maybe the le- maybe meeting your legend isn't the best thing because it didn't happen the way you think. But with him even being gone and kids telling about that, it still gives people hope. Now, we got to where we are right now. Maybe it wasn't the way we wanted to go. In particular, you know, some of the scenes didn't, you know, weren't perfect. But we still have gotten to a place of hope, like with a new generation of, uh, with fourth force kids. Who knows? Like Ray may start another Jedi Academy. You know. Right. We got here, so you know. Ultimately, you know that's you know the story continues because we keep going to these movies. We keep loving the Star Wars thing, and that's what I felt was effective in that l- absolute last scene. Plus, you have the fact that they put out this distress signal and no one responds to it. So in that moment, because of everything that's happened so far, people don't have a whole lot of hope in the resistance. But you can see that things are starting to be built up again by the end of the movie. And you have the funny moment where, you know, Ray makes the comment about, lifting rocks because she mentions that to Luke 
early on in the film about how you can use the force to lift rocks and that's what she ends up having to do at the end of the film so some of the humor did land and I think they did a fairly good job with that but like you said some of it felt a little misplaced but there were moments that did work and I think that was one of them just because you took something that happened at the beginning of the movie and you made it sort of come full circle by the end of it and I think that sort of really helps sum up the relationship between Luke and Ray too in a way. Oh the caretakers were hilarious and the fact that like they didn't overdo it like yeah. it was just two scenes yeah. I'm like all right that's that's well done like that's Ryan Johnson humor you know what I mean so like I uh yeah I mean I'm still kind of dizzy at how we got here because like I said like <laughs> the movie you know, for it being a two-hour and 30 movie, it packs a lot into it. You know what I mean? You could see how some things kind of get misplaced and, like, some things kind of don't make the cut because there's just so much going on, you know? So what will J.J. do? Apparently, J.J. just kind of finished his pitch on episode nine. Um, like, I would... JJ would probably JJ's a great storyteller to me. He's one of my favorite directors. So, but like I said, with losing Carrie Fisher, where do you go? Do you start a movie off with like you know maybe Leia dies and we start with a funeral? Um, because how do you explain that? I don't think you can recast. I I don't think you can recast Leia. Yeah, I don't think so either. Yeah, I, I think that would be super like disingenuous. But like, yeah, I. To be honest with you, I don't even know where, I don't know where this is going. Um, now, could I say, like, maybe if I, you know, I wasn't alive yet for, like, the original trilogies, but, like, if I had watched Empire Strikes Back, I'm like, all right, I know where the Return, I know where they're going with Return of the Jedi. No, I mean, like, I mean, you could kind of see it, I guess, seeing the movie, but, like, here you have no idea, like, it seems like the whole Star Wars universe has kind of been turned on its head a little bit because it just it went ways that you know most of the theories didn't go. So, you know, with this final movie, hopefully they wow us. Hopefully they definitely tie some um, questions because there are a lot of them. So. Yeah, I feel like the only thing we haven't really mentioned are the little porgs that we get in this film. Are you in or are you out <laughs> on porgs? We have to discuss this before we wrap up. <laughs> the scene with Chewie was hilarious. Yeah. Uh, when he was eating the porgs and then he saw the porgs and he's like, ah. And then he, he takes them into the Millennium. I don't mind them. I think, I think they're hilarious. Um, I mean, some people think they're cute. There are replicas of porgs that uh, don't look so great. <laughs> uh, they they kind of don't look as like they do in the movie. But I'm for them. I don't. I, I didn't. You know what I mean? I think they're like the new, like the new creature in the movie. I'm I'm all I'm all in. Yeah, they certainly added some levity to certain moments in the movie, too, because you have them, like you said, when Chewie obviously cooked one <laughs> and was about to eat it, and they all sort of just come over and start making noises and staring at him. And then you have them in the Millennium Falcon when he is piloting it and trying to, you know, 
do these maneuvers and get away from the first order and you just see a porg fly against the window all of a sudden and it really wasn't overdone with them i feel like you know those were sort of the two big scenes yeah you see them here and there on the island elsewhere in other scenes but they didn't make them so important or crucial to the film to where it's like you know they had to have this whole porg storyline basically and i think that is what made them work so well they were kind of like i mean i know bb8 was still there bb8 still that that's still my my homeboy but they were kind of like took over, I guess, the cute factor of BB-8. Yeah. BB-8 was kind of like more of the cast in this one, even though he, you know, he had some moments or whatnot. But um, yeah, they, they, I mean, they're definitely gonna sell toys. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're definitely gonna get the kids excited and whatnot. And they, and they serve for humor, especially with Chewie. Like Chewie doesn't have Han Solo. You know what I mean? Ray is kind of like on her journey, so like, why not? You know, a pair. Chewbacca with some porgs. Yeah. Well, is there anything else we haven't touched on yet that you want to hit on? I think we got through, you know, a bunch of the major points in each of the acts of the movie. But are there any details or anything that we missed that you want to hit on? Oh, R.I.P. Uh, Admiral Akbar, because I felt like that was kind of glossed over. Um, he definitely died. And I feel like, uh, I mean, I think they mentioned it in the movie. But I'm like, oh, man, like. Jeez, he just, boom, dead. See ya. And he was a big, he was a big part. So like, R.I.P. Man. So. Yeah, that that definitely did get a little overlooked there because of everything that was going on. But another character I actually want to touch on quickly here before we go is Lieutenant Connix, who is played by Billy Lord, also known as Carrie Fisher's daughter, and. She was in The Force Awakens, and I think it was a very, very brief moment that she was in that movie, and she certainly had a bigger role here, even if she wasn't necessarily speaking a ton. She was just sort of always present on the ship, and I feel like, you know, it's not going to be a passing of the torch from Carrie Fisher to her by any means as far as the movie goes, but I think it was an nice thing to do to have them have so many moments where they're together even if they aren't speaking directly to each other yeah that was a little thing i noticed that that was nice uh especially you know uh with you know what they're seeing like you know, her and uh, carrie was like really close um it was a nice moment for them to have especially on this movie like you know almost like a tribute moment it's like oh you know mother and daughter are together you never know i mean like billy might have a bigger role in episode nine you know so like i losing carrie fisher in, in particular or whatnot it's a it kind of made this movie you know that much more important to me because it was like ah you know like you know general leia you know what i mean like she's still here you know what i mean she's one her and luke are still the pillars of the universe. And, like, as the movie ended and, like, you know, like, she sees Rey and whatnot as she removes the rocks, you're like, ah, man, it's over. Like, no more Leia. And it hits you. And you're like, ah. You know, like, seeing how strong Leia was from, you know, A New Hope to now, you know, you feel like you're kind of cheated out of that whatever 
they were going to do with Nine. Now, I'm not sure what they were going to do with Nine. Maybe Leia kind of passes on at the end of Nine instead of, I guess, the beginning. But, yeah, you know, like, it's sad in, in a way. You know, you don't... I, I, I kind of wish that, you know, Leia would is going to play a bigger role. and I, I don't want, like, the digital Leia like we got, like, in Rogue One, but, you know. Yeah, and it was totally different this time around, too, when R2-D2 plays the recording of Leia for Luke because, you know, that was clearly something that was stored in R2's memory. So it was much different than seeing her like we did at the end of Rogue One or something like that. And that moment was perfect for that sort of thing. But I don't know if I'm on you with this. I don't think I want them to bring her back in that way for episode nine because they've put so much time into Ray, Poe, and Finn now that I feel like you could follow along their story more and Leia wouldn't need to be as big of a part. You know, it wouldn't be too weird for her to sort of, you know, do something like like you said, either she passes on or maybe she just sort of retires, even though you probably don't really retire from the resistance. But, you know, she's someone who definitely seemed like in this film, she was very tired of the fight, but still willing to do what was necessary. Yeah, I feel like we've we've already I think they've said that Carrie Fisher is not going to be like in episode nine at all. But I feel like that the passing of a torch has already happened. Um, like we are so familiar with Finn, Poe, Ray, that we already kind of have our basis, our three, to kind of just kind of go on and and you know, you, well, you'll have Luke and whatnot, but like we can we can now go on putting out the influence of the older characters, like like kind of being like. Like the pillar now. Now we have our new pillar. Now we have like our new heroes right now. And now we can tell their story. Yeah, exactly. Well, is there anything else? Oh, no, no. Um, you're, you're not going to, are you going to go see it again or like? I might. It depends. You know, Movie Pass makes it pretty easy to go see movies these days. So, you know. Yeah, thank so, you, Movie Pass. Yeah, I mean, for 10 bucks, I've already seen three movies i want to say three and i'll probably see justice league sometime soon just so i can see it i guess i mean i don't really have too much motivation to go do that i mean go see jumanji or something no um <laughs> uh, no i i can't i agree like movie pass is great uh amc don't hate us but yeah movie pass is great yeah well that wraps up our discussion on star wars the last jedi so you know hopefully some of you enjoyed this movie as much as MJ and I both did. And, you know, like we said, there were some things that didn't work quite as well. But for me anyway, I feel like overall I did wind up enjoying the movie quite a bit. And it's one of those things where I feel like Star Wars is just exciting right now because you don't know what to expect at this moment. So, you know, th thank you all for listening to this episode I hope you all have enjoyed the holidays. This will be up probably the day after Christmas, depending on how motivated I am. But either way, you know. <laughs> Christmas present. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a slightly delayed Christmas present here. But as always, thank you all for listening, and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day. See you.